everyone and welcome back to Babbles with Besties. I'm Maddie and in this podcast series I chat with some of my friends about topics that matter to them and hopefully to you too. Today I am joined by the beautiful Dummy. So welcome to the pod. How are you doing? Thanks Maddie. Um, I'm great. I feel like that's a mandatory answer that I have to give. Yeah, I'm really, really good. What everyone says. Yeah. yeah. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Super soaked. I Not told... here against your will, hopefully. No, I actually said before, I was like, I'm really excited to do this. I feel as if me standing in front of the mic is fulfilling all my childhood dreams of like being an actor or a singer or then like being a journalist on the news that yeah. other kids don't really get. Well, happy to fulfill those dreams for you. Thank you. Um, Today, <laughs> guys, we are playing a second round of the game Reflex, which for those of you who don't know, is a conversation card game created by the wonderful Flex Mummy social influencer. And the whole idea of the game is to ditch the small talk and inspire genuine and real conversations with your friends. So yeah, Domi, are you in? Are you ready to play Reflex? I'm super keen. Let's get to it. I thought you'd be the perfect person for this, as well as Ellie, who I had on last week, because mm. you guys are both super inquisitive and have really interesting thoughts about the world. So I feel like this is going to be really fun. I'm super excited. Okay, so I will quickly start by reading you the instructions, mm-hmm. just in case anyone didn't listen last week or just needs a bit of a refresher. Okay, so step one, pick a card at random. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I've already picked the cards for us. <laughs> Answer the question quickly honestly and on reflex step two analyze why you've answered the way you have take your time and dig deep step three interrogate what has informed this opinion did you adopt it from close friends and family has social media or pop culture influenced you or have you ever thought about this question at length and step four read the question again and pick it apart what is the phrasing suggesting is there a way to answer the question more objectively or with a different perspective. So yeah, that's obviously just a guide there. Don't have to be too strict to that at all. But even the questions, like even the instructions are super interesting. So the way great. that you have to answer the question, I'm like, okay, got it. Yeah, it's not just like make a snap decision and move on. Like my mom always says this phrase, actually, she always says devil's advocate. Mm. When, and she always gives me sort of the other side of the coin. And yes. sometimes I do find it kind of frustrating. I'm like, mom, just be on my side. Don't see it from the other side. But you know what? It's good to be objective. I like think that. if my mom didn't give me the other side of the coin, sometimes I don't know where I would be. Yeah. So I'd I'm be in my own world. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Still am. Okay. Are you ready for the first question? I'm ready. All right. In relationships, which is more important to you? Same shared morals or shared motivations? I actually have an interesting answer to this one. Like not to do my own horn, but I say shared morals. And I think that morals is says a lot about a person. And the reason I start with saying shared morals is because I come from... Well, sometimes your motivations come from your morals. So um, my parents have very strong family morals. And therefore, the things they do in life, they're motivated to do everything for their kids. And the reason that I say shared morals is because I come from um, a mixed religion background. And my mom's Jewish and my dad's raised Catholic, but goes through being atheist agnostic on a different day. It depends on, <laughs> depends on when you catch him and what conflict's going on in the world. But, <laughs> but um, I always used to say to my mom, because when I was in school a lot of people would say like you have to marry a Jewish person and because you share the same morals and you share the same values and you share the same lifestyle. Yeah. And so I used to ask my parents and my parents are incredibly different. I remember I once walked into their bedroom and I said to them, hey mom, hey dad, what do you guys have in common? 
And they looked at me and they're like, uh... Wait, that's actually so interesting. I feel like I need to ask my parents that now too. But they're incredibly, it's it's the yin and yang of relationships. It's, you've never seen anything like it. Yeah. Like my mom loves home shows and decorating and my dad falls asleep. And <laughs> my dad loves long distance cycling and, you know, he has to be out and doing things. And my mom could think of nothing better than sitting on the couch and watching yeah. like her home show. Like she could, they are incredibly, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. Um, but except for making each other laugh and all the beautiful things in a relationship. The things that actually matter. I said also, how do you overcome the the religious kind of barriers? Because like, as you know, I mean, in our community, being Jewish, it has a huge um, influence over the way that you live your life and the, yeah, and the values. Put- and it's always framed around that argument of like shared values. Also like yeah. how your kids are going to be raised, but that's a whole other thing. No, but I remember I was in school once and a teacher actually said to me, or they were talking about religion and they said to me, they were like, don't marry someone who's not Jewish because you're going to make things harder. You're going to have that. fights over it, which is not 100% wrong, which took me a long time to kind of... Um, like accept. Yeah, accept a huge time because it's your own family. But one thing I always ask my mom is, how do you guys do it? And they said, we have the same morals. We have the same values. She goes, Domi, at the end of the day, there are things that are deep inside that you have to align with with your partner. Yeah. For example... Those family values, you know, doing everything for your children, wanting to raise a family together. Um, Are you, you know, a good person? What constitutes a good person? Do you have integrity? Do you have honesty? Do you have um, authenticity? And can you really connect on that deeper level? Because, you know, what motivates you to do things? Even like, for example, I see these couples and they're like Fitzbo couples and their motivations Together. Oh, oh fits for Yeah. Oh, okay, gotcha. And their motivations together are to look hot. I'm like, <laughs> that's sexy. I'm like, yeah, you go to the gym and you check each other out and in the yeah, mirror. And yeah, you look hot, but like... And we know you're not looking at each there? other. We know you're looking at yourselves in that <laughs> mirror. And it's it's great. You live your whole lifestyle. But at the end of the day, and in my own family, I've seen, you know, what can happen when two people get really tested. Life happens and struggles happen. Mm. But it's those morals and those values and they're the bread and butter. And so to me, what's more important that's that's my answer, yeah. Oh my god, that was so beautiful, and I hundred percent agree. And I don't feel like I could compete with that whatsoever. <laughs> I did have the same answer to you, but then I also did try to think of it like the flip side of the coin. So yeah. I might I might share that now, but I hundred percent like agree, and then like amen to everything you just said. <laughs> like even with the religion thing as well. Like people say, oh, like you need to have the same religion because then you've got the same shared values. But as you said values aren't always associated with religion it's yeah. it's about who you are as a person i think we also learned that in school with like the noahide laws you oh, know the eight, they're the same. like the eight things <laughs> well i paid attention in some things not not many but the they're like the eight laws that you have that non-jews have and jews have and it's like the tenets of what make you a good person and if to me you have those they're shared in every humanity they're shared in like every you know, those people, the core values, if you're there, they're those shared across like, all religions. Are those things like integrity and honesty. And yeah, like, and like you wouldn't kill yeah. and honour your fellow, you know, man and your neighbour. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, that's that in one. every book. That's one thing I've seen is like, I've done a lot of work. I, you know, I'm a yoga teacher as well. And like, so I've done a lot of work with understanding a bit of Hinduism and I tutor religions. So I'm always interested in all the little tenets. And at the end of the day, 
it all boils down to like a similar thing. If I was looking at the flip side of the coin, although I do not agree with this, <laughs> if I was that devil's advocate, if I was playing devil's advocate, that's going to be a running theme throughout today. I, I should buy it. little horns. Oh my god, yeah, like with <laughs> Halloween, get those devil horns. I don't think you need to necessarily be wanting to do the same things in life. Like you don't need to both have the same career or the same motivations in that sense. But at the same time, I think what does make a strong couple is being on the same page and sort of having Mm. those shared motivations in the sense of like you're going in the same direction. Like maybe you both want to buy a house in the future. So your motivation Mm -hmm. is to save money and, and, and work up till that. Or maybe your shared motivation is to eventually move overseas or to go traveling or, I don't know, become like a van life couple and like go off the grid. Like you want those sort of motivations or end goals to be aligned and you kind of want to be on the same wavelength or on the same page um and if you don't have that that could make a relationship really difficult but in the in the context of the question of which one's more important I still keep going back to the to the shared morals because I think what matters is what makes someone a good person and if like your values of what is good and what is not good or what you accept is okay and what is not okay I think that's more important but that was just my devil's advocate. But I think, on it. Yeah. I think you make a really good point there because I think, you know, morals are super important, but it's the motivations that sometimes highlight that you don't have the same morals yeah. or that you do. And sometimes you can, everything can be perfect, but because my mom always says to me, God, she has so much wisdom. I swear. <laughs> I swear my podcast. mom and relationships, I swear on my life. I don't know what she's been doing the last, you know, 50 years, but she, she pumps out the good wisdom about these things. Whenever I'm in a crisis, I'm like, mom, she sits me down. She's like, deep breath. Starts like stroking her rabbi beard. Literally. I'm actually, I, I think of her like one of those old trees, you know, like the wisdom trees. So it's probably not a good analogy, but <laughs> she always says to me, she's like, Domi, you know, don't sweat the small stuff mm. and don't think too much about the future because I always like to say as well, the future is you're stressing over something that might never eventuate. Mm. But she says to me, you will either grow together or you'll grow apart and you'll know when that happens. Oh, I know, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. No, so true. Yeah, I feel like we really covered that one. Is there anything you want to say on that one? Are you ready to move on to the next question? I'm, I'm ready. Like? Yeah. All right. Question number two. Are you more likely to judge someone by their words or their actions? This is an interesting question. And I feel as if my opinion is going to be heavily based on my own experiences and biases. But that's fine. I think as long as like you acknowledge your biases and you acknowledge your own subjectivities, that's like... I feel like I'm in my uni course right now, but I think that that's what matters. Like such an art thing, yeah. I'm the situated same. knowledges because there's no such thing as objectivity. But yeah, oh, welcome to anthropology. On, carry I know. On, go for it. Anthropology is like observation. <laughs> I think controversial statement. I like to advocate myself as a trustful person, mm-hmm. but I think deep down I'm very distrustful, and I have a hard time believing what people say. I like to think of myself as an energetic person, as in it's what you say, but it's also the way that you say it. You know, they say 70% of language is unspoken. So it's your body language. It's the energy that you emit. It's Mm. all these kind of things. And to me, it's like the concept we talked about before of integrity. To me, your words are nothing if they're not backed up by your actions. It's literally the actions speak louder than words. I love that sentence. It's so cliche, but I'm like, they're there for a reason. Yeah, it's a complete truism. Yeah, and sometimes when somebody says something and their actions don't align, it's not necessarily on purpose. It's, I think, 
that we all go through processes of change and sometimes to realize to actually let the words that we say sink in in our in ourselves and i think sometimes we say things because we genuinely want them we want to be the person who lives up to what we're saying mm. we want to be the person who who pulls through at the end of the day yeah and sometimes like you tell someone they can trust you and accidentally sometimes you slip up you know you say something you're not meant to so i think in the action speak louder than word i think we need to put in a buffer zone because nobody's perfect and we all make mistakes but i do believe that you know you can walk the walk but can you talk the talk i mean yeah. there's so many of them um if somebody says something to me or they tell me they'll be there for me or and like i said buffer zone really important here mm. um but i expect them to to kind of show up you know i expect if somebody's going to do and i get life gets busy and people cancel and that's kind of different so it's it's hard yeah. to i'm not talking about like really simple things like oh we make a plan and we you know we cancel or life comes up or things happen but it's more um it's the the more important things and it's like you sort of you trust what people say until they give you a reason not to is that exactly. sort of what you're saying yeah i think i trust everyone on face value i like to believe that the words that they say will um will be true until they give me a reason not to. Yeah. But if somebody gives me a reason not to, and they give me a reason not to again, then I'm going to pull them up on it straight yeah. away. Because I think a lot of the time, and this is from me personally, I spent a long time trying to be the person that I wanted to be, that I said I was going to be, the perfectionist. You know, I wanted to be a certain ideal. I wanted to be a certain, and I'm not talking aesthetic. I'm not talking about any of those you know, things. like the perfect friend, for example. Yeah. Who's always there for everyone. Everyone wants to be like, the perfect friend, as an example. I think that is an example that is amazing that I can fully, you know, align with. And when they say actions as well, I want to always, you know, give those actions. I spent a really long time doing that at the sake of myself. Mm. And and I said I want to be there and I said I could. And eventually, I also realized that sometimes I was doing it for myself because I wanted to be a good friend and not for the other person. Yeah, so it was a difficult to kind of reconcile my actions and my words. Mm. And I think it, it took a long time to, when you speak with authenticity, when somebody really says something and they mean it, you can tell. Yeah. You're like, okay. And then they pull through. Or if they can't do it, they'll be honestly, they'll be honest with you about why they can't. Um. So for me, actions speak louder than words, but words are important too? Question mark? So my take on this question, the question going back to that, in case anyone forgot, was are you more likely to judge someone by their words or their actions? For me, I feel like words and actions are inherently intertwined. So I feel like you kind of can't separate the two and be mm. like, I'm going to judge someone only on this or only on that. And when I say intertwined, what I mean is like, for example, sometimes we'll think first or we'll say something first and then we'll act on it second. Mm. Or sometimes we'll act without thinking and then we'll talk after that action to mm. justify that behavior. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel like there's like a logical or a consistent order where you can judge someone on the fact like, oh, that one comes first, which means that's the one that I'm going to judge them on, if that yeah. makes sense. Like, because usually you judge someone on what came first, if yeah. that makes sense. Um, also on this idea of words and actions being intertwined, I feel like some words are actions in and of themselves. So like, mm. for example, telling someone you love them is an action. Threatening to kill someone is also an action. <laughs> the first one warmed my heart and the second one, I was I was like, oh shit. But those are actions, yeah. right? Even though it yeah. involves words as well. So I feel like it is 
kind of hard to compartmentalize the two. I think another thing as well, just going back to that phrase you were talking about, like actions speak louder than words. I think that's definitely a standard I like to think I stick to as well. But in some ways, I think we might be creating a bit of a double standard. I feel like this is generally speaking, but we often judge ourselves based on our intentions. And I'm sort of aligning intentions with words, but then we'll judge others by their actions. So like a really basic example would be like, you would criticize someone that you work with for being late to a meeting. You'd be like, oh my God, Jane, like she's late. She literally said she was going to be on time. She was late. She's so lazy. She's so this, she's so that. You'd come to all those judgments. But then if you were running late to that meeting, you'd sort of let yourself off the hook and you'd be like, oh, well, I was trying really hard and then I got stuck in traffic and and you're using all these words to sort of... And you also don't know why she was late. Yeah, and you haven't even questioned, like, was there something going on behind that that she didn't just show up late for no reason? Well, then you get the saying, the benefit of the doubt, you know? Exactly. (laughs) So I think this bit of a long-winded answer, what I'm trying to get at is that I don't think there is a right answer. I don't think you can disconnect the two. But I think you should try to judge others the way that you would want to be judged yourself. Yeah. And in saying that, I mean, judging is not a good thing. Like, but obviously, like we're humans, we're going to judge. I think sometimes judging is important. I mean, it holds people accountable. That's the whole action thing as well. But I think... But I think that's really good what you said about judging people how you'd want to judge yourself. Yeah. Not creating a double standard. Holding somebody accountable. Yeah. And then I think as well... Instead of just going to a snap judgment, because I think that's a really quick decision to come to, maybe, as you said before, questioning, being a little bit more curious, Mm. being like, okay, why was this person late? Or why did they do this thing? Or why did they not follow through on something that they said they would? Because I think, I think the only way that we can really understand why people act in a certain way is by looking at sort of the overall context in which they acted, Mm. like taking sort of each situation as it comes rather than being like, I'm always going to judge people on their words or I'm always going to judge people on their actions. So I think it also goes back to kind of the first thing. That's a really, I think you articulated it beautifully, much better than I did, but um, how I feel like my opinion is biased because we judge people based on our own experiences or what's happened. And I definitely think sometimes we're unfair towards people saying, oh, your actions speak louder than words, but we're looking at it from how we would look at it and not how their brain is synthesizing it or how their perspective is synthesizing it. So that was good. Next question. Cool. Next question. Okay, this one is an interesting one. A little bit controversial, but I think we'll have an interesting conversation. In your opinion, does the concept of monogamy make sense or is it archaic? Interesting. <laughs> I'm happy to go first if you want. I was actually going to ask you to go first, okay. which is quite I have, interesting. Because I have some thoughts on it. In my personal opinion, I think the concept of monogamy makes complete sense. It's appealing to me. It's the only type of relationship that I've ever experienced. And it's the only type of relationship I foresee myself experiencing in the future. Now, that might come across as a very, like, closed-minded view to someone, but that's, I guess that could be because of the culture or the society that I've been brought up in. But I personally just can't imagine sharing a partner with anyone else. I could not see myself in any sort of polyamorous or open relationship or anything like that. I think I just get 
I'd get too jealous. I'd be like, no, like, <laughs> I'd be like, no, like, I don't want you thinking about someone else. I want to be the My man. Yeah. It might be that whole idea of I want to be the center of somebody's universe. It could be that. I, I want to be the, the one thing making them happy. <laughs> Look, I don't know. Maybe that's a bit selfish. I but. was, all I know is that in, in kindy, I was not a good sharer. My book says <laughs> today, Dominic played in the sand pit with her boyfriend, like Harrison, and she was bossy towards Harrison. I was never a good sharer. So I can understand where you're no, coming I'm from. No, I'm the same. But in saying that, I do understand how it's not for everyone. And I also do understand the argument of it being, quote unquote, archaic. Like, obviously, I'm thinking about the wording of the question as Flex Mm. has asked us to do. And I might share a little bit into why I do see that view, Mm -hmm. even though I don't inherit it myself. So I think monogamy is a social construct and it is a rule which I think people have found difficult to maintain throughout humanity and I think that's pretty telling in the sort of the commonality of like cheating and infidelity which is sort of the main cause of a lot of breakups in relationships or even like divorce rates like I mean even in movies like how many times is there a cheating scandal like that's like the main plot point of a lot of relationships yeah it's the main like relationship breakdown plot point in most movies so I do see how monogamy and only sort of being in a emotional and sexual relationship with one person could be seen as maybe like restricting or limiting to people who want to maybe explore their sexuality. And it also sort of, I think, does align a little bit with like the traditional values around like the nuclear family, you know, needing mm. the, the husband, the wife, taking care of the kids, how money is involved, how families were structured in a very traditional heterosexual sensibility. Mm-hmm. Also, just going back to the question and, like, deconstructing, like, the wording in the question, like, monogamy, like, are we talking about sexual exclusivity or emotional exclusivity? Mm. Because for me, those things are inherently connected. I could not, like, same with the previous question with words and actions being inherently connected. Those two things are connected for me. But I think with other people, they would be seen as separate entities. Some people can maybe feel like emotional connections with lots of people but maybe only be in a sexual relationship with one or they can be sexually intimate with a lot of people but then Mm -hmm. have maybe that one core emotional partner which is like quite common in maybe a lot of open relationships as well so that's sort of interesting to me and I guess to wrap up my little answer, which didn't really come to much of a conclusion. No, Maddie, you've made my brain fire. So. No, I, I I, don't think one is wrong or right. Like, I don't think anyone is in a place to judge anyone in terms of what they want out of a relationship. But I think in terms of it being successful and it working, I think you need to obviously have that communication and setting up what the expectations are at the very beginning of the relationship because mm. in a monogamous relationship it's pretty clear what the boundary is in terms of cheating like maybe like <laughs> um maybe it isn't actually but i think maybe in an open relationship some things would be considered okay or some things would be considered crossing that boundary so i think as long as the the people however many people are in that relationship yeah. are all on the same page you're not really hurting anyone else so i yeah. i wouldn't see it necessarily as archaic but just not for me Maddie, that was so interesting. Um, <laughs> I have so many things to say, actually. Okay, great. Yeah, where to start? Um, you explain things so articulately, and I think the way that I explain things is probably through like anecdotes. As my year three maths teacher used to say, Dommy, you're full of excuses. You're a storyteller. So I'm just thinking of where to begin. I think I actually started at the end of what you touched on, which was this point about communication. And I think that is so crucial. 
the first experience I ever had with the concept of non-singular relationships because obviously we come from very conservative backgrounds yeah. and this idea of polyamory or is either taboo. Yeah. So it's I used to be obsessed with like those polyamory TV shows. Oh my god, like my, my sister wives or like yeah, or like this guy and three wives. I, I went through a phase. Anyway, yeah, the first time I was ever exposed to the experience of it, I was like dating this guy and the relationship did not have good communication. Communication with myself, blurred boundaries, blurred lines of the relationship. And the first time I came in contact with it was there was this woman and she was really, really nice. She was lovely. And we were all friends and we used to go out at night and, you know, we were 18, 19 and it was fun and it was the summer before I started uni and it was all good, you know. It was very, it was like a movie. Um, And we used to go out a lot and there was this girl and I was very, let's keep it PG, very inexperienced, very shy, very new. And my partner came up to me, or the guy I was with, and he was like, so this girl, she was gorgeous. God, oh my God, stunning. And um, she's actually like a big model now, so I won't name her name. But she was like, so she wants to have a three-way. And I was, I was like, uh, I was like, like shock, gone. I'm even now at the time, I'm still, I'm still like, yeah, literally, I was like on the floor, you know, when they do like the death drops in like RuPaul's, oh, yeah. <laughs> that was my soul, my soul exited soul the building the death drop, yeah. and I was like, no, <laughs> I was like, uh, and bear in mind at the time, like, this is very personal, but we had, there had never been anything between us, so I was not ready to bring in like a third person. Wait, what, he literally, yeah, don't ask, it was a yeah. weird, the, the whole yeah. backstory relationship is, is the Topic for another podcast. Yeah. But um, I was like, okay, no thanks. And that was it. We moved Wait, on. Sorry to interrupt, but still, just like, it seems so like crossing boundaries that you would jump to that without having any sort of open communication beforehand. But I Bad said, communication. I need to stress that yeah. this was a toxically, terribly communicated relationship. Yeah, Wild fun, terribly communicated. Yeah. Anyway, and I just, I got exposed to this world also it was in king's cross at the time so there mm. was like like monogamy is not everywhere i was like yeah, oh I think, shit i don't like to think of myself as being sheltered as a child but i think we were sheltered tp roof like whatever you would tuck me in a bed at night like so the second experience that i had was i was on the top of this rooftop same rooftop and there was a guy who lived in one of the apartment buildings below us. And he knew that I did the yoga and I was trained to be a yoga teacher. Anyway, he came up. It was the middle of the night. Obviously, it had been a fun night. And he goes, oh, my legs are cramping. I'm like, okay, why? He's like, can you stretch me out? So he lay on the floor and stretched me out. Basically, he was having a three... Him, his wife, another chick were going at it. And he invited me in. And I was like, no, it's not happening. Um, it was a wild time for me. But I, this was the kind of first exposure I had as a... I have to put this into context as an extremely innocent, mm. very unexperienced, very naive <laughs> kind of um, teenager. And I was like, oh, whoa. So that was the kind of first experience I had with it. And I knew these people beforehand and they were great people and, mm. and their relationship seemed to work and they seemed to be really happy. So I was like, okay, maybe this can work. Yeah. And I used to work in King's Cross for a couple of years and they used to be this amazing couple, two men who used to come to my work all the time and one would travel and they would come here for six months and live in England for six months. And I hear stories and I was like, I think they're in a bit of a open relationship too, but they seem really happy. Hmm. So I was like, okay, I guess this can work for other people. And to be 100% honest, I'm unsure 
how I feel about the whole situation. Yeah. I feel like you've got to be really stable in yourself and you've got to be really stable in your partnership. And I think for me in in those times, to bring it back, if I would have been in a relationship that was non-monogamous, I would have done it for someone else and not me. So I yeah. think that the wanting to be in that has to be really authentic. And I, the other day I was watching this really weird video about these two identical twins who are in a relationship <gasps> with one guy. I know that. Have you seen? Oh my God, and they've got matching fake boobs. Everything. They like talk the same. And I was like, are you in a relationship with two people or yeah, one person like, that's Yeah, girls from Perth. Yes. I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, so... Yeah. I, I worry in some of these relationships that I view it from the external that there is a power imbalance. Mm. I always think of seal colonies. If anyone knows me, then I'm obsessed with seals. You mean and like the animal? Obsessed. <laughs> what? You don't understand. When I'm sad, I just watch seals. I actually was late here because I was watching seals and I was looking for this specific video. I love them. Harp seals, look them up. It's like, yay! And um, in the in mating season, especially with elephant seals, the two males fight each other. And they get the whole colony of women. First of all, I'm like, every man's dream. <laughs> and second of all, I'm like, oh, okay. So that's an interesting phenomenon in humanity. And always when we look at religion, I, I really get confused whether monogamy is, is trained in. Because I, I really disagree with some of the way we view sex because of religion. And that's mm. a whole other topic in itself. Yeah. To wrap up my whole long story opinion is that I'm not sure how I feel about monogamy. I agree with the problem towards monogamy as being people who haven't explored their sexuality. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of that comes back down to bring it back in to communication mm. and having the freedom and having to be feel safe enough and feel open enough with your partner that you can communicate what you want sexually and you can try that with somebody. Because some people go like, oh, I don't want to be monogamous or as in like, I don't want to be tied down. Mm. I, I get that they're different things. So I, I think there's so many subtypes of non-monogamy that it's hard to discuss them all. Yeah. But I think that if it's in terms of, you know, sexual exploration, having met my partner, I hadn't done a lot of sexual exploration. Mm. And I think to have the communication and to have the trust with that one person mm. and to share that with them is really special. I could not imagine having to put the work into multiple relationships that you have to put into one. Like That seems like too much <laughs> I'm like, hats off, hats off to these people because to me, like, I just think monogamy is for me because I got that one relationship. Yeah. I really want to foster it. And no one can be your everything. Yeah. That's what you have friends for. But yeah. yeah, we have really gone in depth on a lot of these questions. So I think we've got maybe two more that I think will be a little bit more short, sharp and snappy. Um, cool. And just maybe we should just answer on reflex and see what comes up. Perfect. So what is one thing you wish people would talk more and or less about? Yeah, I think this one off the cuff is easy and I am so guilty of it themselves. Like, and I'm so guilty of it. It's funny. I work in a gym as well and being caught up in like the spiritual, like yoga worlds. Oh, let me, yeah. Fuck. People are so obsessed with themselves mm. and I fall into the trap all the time. And you know, everything's about like, oh, what diet am I on? What am I? I've got this problem. I've got that problem. I look like this. I'm trying this new thing. Like, sometimes that's really valid. Mm. But after a while, you're like, stop the broken record. Like, just shut up. And I feel really bad for these people sometimes. I'm like, you're actually making it worse. You've zoned in on this micro world. You've zoned in on this, this kind of just you've distorted reality and we can see it like the rise of body image problems and body dysmorphia and and also it's something that challenges what i learned in the self-help world you know everything's about individuality 
everything's about, you know, you're the source of your own problems and you're the source of your own solutions. And and self-love, love comes from within. Don't get me started on self-love. Um, but <laughs> controversial topic. But what happened to community? Like, you need other people. And other people need you. Yeah, like humanity is is a very social species. Exactly. We're heard. We're we're a group of people. And if say, oh, if you lean on someone, all of a sudden it's like you're codependent or you're, you know, you're like needy. Sometimes you need people. Yes, you need to have the skills to fill up your own cup and to be independent, but you also need to have the skills to be vulnerable. We're so obsessed, we're such a, you know, commercially cosmopolitan fixing society we need to make everything better we need to improve everything's about self-improvement mm. everything's about and now Never we good enough and now we have the kind of opposite of self-love and the kind of needing to self-acceptance because we've come so far in the opposite direction yeah this hyper we have to be the best we have to be the best at everything we have to excel and i mean like covid's really kind of showed us this as well is you, you can't live by yourself you don't live in a vacuum we need to we need to help other people and you know what sometimes shutting up about yourself and talking about someone else have you ever been like volunteered or done something and felt so freaking good because for one minute it wasn't about you and we get so caught up in this it's about me that we forget to have empathy for others we forget what other people need mm. we forget to and sometimes also when it's all about you and it's all about your friends and they're all about themselves we forget it's shift work you know, you can't be on shift all the time. You're re-exhausted. Yeah, I really like that analogy of the shift work. It almost makes me think of like a seesaw, you know. Sometimes you put in a little bit more effort than like when it's your chance to hang back, you'd let the other person put in a little bit more effort. It goes both ways. I really love that. I reckon we've got time for one last short question and then I reckon we've played a great game of reflex. I'm ready. This one's kind of hard, but I'm kind of keen to hear what kind of comes to mind straight away because it's one that someone could really dwell on for weeks and weeks on end. How would you describe happiness? Fleeting. Ooh. Controversial opinion. I think it's the same. I put happiness and I put self-love in the same box. What was your qualm with self-love, if you don't mind briefly sharing? I'm I'm so happy to um, share it. I think that self-love goes into this idea of perfectionism again. We live in this spectrum of binary opinions where we either love or hate ourselves. And then when we don't love ourselves, we hate ourselves for not loving ourselves. And it's this kind of reinforcement of a particular goal or ideal that we must attain. And it's this pursuit to bring it back, this pursuit. I actually watched the movie The Pursuit of Happiness last night. It was so cute. I was depressed until the end. I was like, is he going to get a better life? But... um. It's this pursuit of this ultimate attainment, this label. It's this this label that we attach to things. What is happiness? What is, you know, self-love? I don't love myself all the time, but I accept myself unconditionally. And also I accept myself on the days where I don't love myself. Because otherwise I'm going to be like, ah, today, you know when people are like, today I'm having a bad body day. Mm. You're not. Like, like you look the same every day. You it's just, just your perspective that's changed. Yeah, you may have like slept not well last night or something might have happened. Someone might have said something that triggered you. But you're like, cool, this is me. I'm a process. It's the same with like this time in my life where I felt like I felt a lot of joy a lot of times. Most of them in which I'm watching SEAL videos. <laughs> but <laughs> one of the times I first remember experiencing pure joy, like the feeling of pure um, mind, body, heart connection joy. 
I was standing in a yoga class, so random, in a tree pose. And I was in Bonner Junction and I was standing there. And it was very early in my yoga days and my foot was beautifully ground and there was this gorgeous straight line from my toe to my head and I felt as if the sunshine shined out of my skull. I was oh my like, God. yeah, my heart was like beating. I was like, and I just smiled. And I was like, what? whoa. I was whoa. like, I just remember it forever. I was like, so this is what happiness feels like. And nothing happened. That's so good, though. It was, like, from within. That's so good, though, because, as you said, like, from within, it's not, like, an external event happened that's, like, oh, that thing now made me happy. It's, like, no, I just felt it. Sometimes we are so programmed that we need X, Y, and Z to be happy. Mm -hmm. We need this to be happy. And if we don't have them, well, then what am I? I'm sad. No, you're not. You're just being. You're just chilling out. Like, and, and then I was happy for those 10 seconds and then it was over. And then you were back to your tree pose. But we spend so much time in this almost pursuit of something. The pursuit of happiness. There you go. <laughs> Set that one up. That you, um, in that pursuit, like it's, it's all these cliches I love, like the journey, not the destination. But mm. until we get there, it's this continual, you know, beating ourselves up for not being where we think we should be, not loving ourselves, not being happy. That stops us from ever doing it. Yeah. Wow. So... No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Like, at first when you said happiness is fleeting, I was like, oh, that's, like, kind of sad. <laughs> that's... But now that you've sort of, like, elaborated on that, I'm like, wait, mm. that's actually, like, a really, like, powerful Thanks. sort of conclusion you've come to. So, yeah, I think that was great. And overall, I'd like to say I get to experience happiness quite often, so. Well, that's beautiful. <laughs> I'm so happy you do. Thanks. Well, on that very happy note, it looks like we have come to the end of our episode for today. Domi, thank you so much for being on the pod and for giving such great answers and, yeah, getting down with Reflex. Sweet. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Babbles with Besties. Please subscribe and if you haven't already, give me a five-star review. I'll be so appreciative. I'll be babbling your ears off with another bestie next week. Bye. Bye.